Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 179 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by the infamous Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, my friend. Very good, very good, I usually say. Battling a little bit of a virus, but we have to still come with the show. The show must go on. We're going to start with the review part, as always. We're going to start at the Leah Chorus Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. Um, I'm going to start down the card. I'm going to start with John Joe Nevin, a man that I think ended up actually being the last fight on. I think he was on after the main event, so it was untelevised for sure. 12-0 John Joe Nevin now, a unanimous decision over six rounds against Andres Figueroa, now 9-4. and uh, Daniel Yelusinov took on Silverio Ortiz. Um, Yelusinov again. I don't know, man. There's just something lacking from him since he's turned over. But anyway, it was a win for him over eight rounds unanimously. Um, he's now 6-0. and His opponent, Silverio Ortiz, now 37-24. and Ortiz was down in round seven. It was weird because he was down, but then Yelusinov um, actually hit him while he was down kind of thing. And then he had a point took off. And Ortiz made a meal out of it and all the rest of it. And it was, you know, if he stayed down, I think the commentator said it probably would have gone down as a disqualification. But but thankfully for Yelusinov, that wasn't the case. He did get back up eventually. But the referee gave him so much amounts of time. It was so weird. But anyway, also on the bill, Luke Campbell moved to 20 wins. He's got the two losses. It was a TKO in the fifth round against Adrian Young, now 26-6 and six, with two draws. Uh, to be completely honest, I mean, Campbell was so many levels above uh, above his man here, and it was a mismatch. I mean, the only thing what was a little bit interesting was that Young, his opponent, had never been stopped in his five losses, so Luke Campbell became the first man to stop him, but he hadn't really fought anyone, to be honest, and he did have 20 knockouts from 26 wins, so he did have a puncher's chance, but that was about all. Uh, the first knockdown from Campbell was quite nasty. Um... Young went down and he got back up just in time and when he got back up his eye was bleeding, it was a savage knockdown and then like I say, Campbell managed to get him out of there in that fifth round a TKO, also on the bill we got to see, well we didn't get to see it on uh, on uh, on on the, on the Sky TV, I'm not quite sure if they showed it on the zone. But Avery Sparrow, a guy that I really don't know too much about, he's now ten and one. He's got the one loss. Avery Sparrow. I actually thought that Hank Lundy would win that one quite easily, just simply because I didn't know too much about Sparrow, and he had a loss. Uh, it was a majority decision, though, over 10 rounds, and Hank Lundy was actually down twice in round two. So, quite obviously, there it seems like the knockdowns cost him the fight. A majority decision for Sparrow. Also on the bill, we got to see Gabe Rosado, 24-12 and 12 now, with one draw. He took on Mastiel Selecki, 28-1 and one now. Uh, it was for the vacant WBO international middleweight title. We're being told that the winner will get the Demetrius Andrade fight, unfortunately. Um... Yeah, Rosado was down in the first round, he was down in the eighth round, and Selecki was down twice in the ninth round himself. Um, 
Yeah, I mean the first the first knockdown that that Rosado scored in that ninth round, it was nice. Um, it was it was a good knockdown, but the second one was a barrage of rabbit punches, in my opinion, and the referee. Um, did quite poor to not call that. And to be honest, I've seen that referee a few times before and he's made some stellar, stellar mistakes. And I wasn't happy when I saw him refereeing it. And um, yeah, for me, he made another big mistake there. But yeah, Rosado poured it all out in that final two rounds. Uh, Selecki dug deep and he did survive. Um, but yeah, you know, Andrade, I think he wipes the floor with Selecki. He would have absolutely destroyed Rosado. And for me, I think Rosado needs to retire. He even tried to say that he thought he won the fight. No way did he did he nearly win the fight. Selecki was a was a level above, and Rosado is just he's just he's tough. I mean, that's that's all he is. He's he's I don't know. I, I suppose he's a likable guy, but there's nothing else to him. I mean, he's just. I don't even know if he's a name. Is he a name? I suppose he is a name. How on earth did he end up in Creed? I, I guess he is a name, but uh, yeah, nothing, nothing other than that. Uh, just, just doesn't win at the top level. Um, he's, he's just an opponent, really. Uh, also on the bill, we got to see Katie Taylor move to thirteen and O. She picked up the WBO World Female Lightweight Title from Rose Valente. Uh, she was fourteen and O going in, by the way. She was down in the first round, but she was able to go. Uh, all the way to the ninth round where she got TKO'd. It was a one-sided fight, and Katie Taylor picks up another belt, so she now has three, and the one that she doesn't have, the one title, the WBC, is, of course, with uh, the, the the Belgian lady, Delphine Persoon, so that one should be a good fight, should it happen. Um, and topping the bill, Tevin Farmer, 28-4, and four, now 29-4. and four. He's got one draw. It was for his IBF World Super Featherweight title. He took on John O'Carroll. Uh, John O'Carroll was undefeated. 16 and 0 now 16 and 1 with that one draw unanimous decision over 12 rounds in favor of Mr. Farmer both men here were friends of the show so it was uh you know it was a, it was it was a fight where I didn't really mind who won um, it would have been nice to see Jono achieve his dream. The confidence that he had going into that fight was just unbelievable. It really was. And, you know, we know about John O'Carroll. Got the heart of a true Irishman. And he did himself very, very proud in there. But, yeah, going through the fight, I mean, the first round, clearly a farmer round. He was popping out that jab. He wasn't really landing with all of them. Uh, Jono did well to slip a lot of them, to be honest. But all in all, Carroll didn't really get close enough, often enough, to win the round. So a clear round there for Farmer. The second round, I felt it was brilliant tactics from Carroll. He was just simply targeting the body of Farmer, smashing to the body, in fact. Um, he didn't throw more than two shots the whole round to the head. And the great thing about Tevin is that he's just able to remain calm and relax so much of the time in that ring. He's at home in a boxing ring. And he never loses his call. Cool. And, you know... Carroll was cut on the right eye in the dying seconds of the second round, but Carroll certainly won that round for me, so I had it 1-1. Going into the third round, it was a round where I really loved some of Tevin's shot picking. Um, you know, he would tuck up and time Carroll coming in. He was headhunting while Carroll was going for the body once again. The better shots were coming from Tevin Farmer, but the sheer work rate of Carroll and the pressure that he put on Tevin made me actually give the round to Jono. So maybe I'm one of those few people that had it 2-1 to Carroll. The fourth round... Um, yeah, I mean, Carroll didn't necessarily have a bad round, but I felt the better shots came from Farmer, so it was 2-2 for me. In the fifth round, a brilliant, brilliant round for Tevin Farmer. He was slick, he was speedy, he was accurate. Carroll seemed to run out of steam a little bit in that fifth round, which was funny, really, when you think about what happened in the next few rounds, which I'll get onto. But yeah, um, perhaps... 
you know, he ran out of steam, not due to exhaustion, but just taking a number, a number, a number of clean shots in that fifth round. And he was missing a lot, John O'Carroll. He's being made to miss in that fifth round. He did seem to uh, to feel Farmer's body shots more than he had done previously. And his gum shield also got knocked out by Farmer in that round. It seemed like he was perhaps starting to unravel, just perhaps. But no, I was completely wrong. Um, but yeah, a round there for Farmer. In the sixth round, a clear Farmer round. He totally outclassed. Jono, it was a brilliant display of boxing going into the second half of the fight though Tevin started backing Jono up for the first time in the fight and it was an unbelievable effort from from Carroll, I mean he stepped up in class massively for this fight and the difference in levels on paper was quite remarkable not to go in a, you know, off on a tangent so to speak but Tevin's world title defences I don't know what the American people think about this but I reckon a, a lot of American people are probably quite annoyed with his, with his um defences. I think he's has he had three defences. I think it was James Tennyson, who the Americans didn't know. John O'Carroll, who the Americans may have known simply due to the press conferences being fiery. Um and the other defence was was it was it Francisco Fonseca? I mean that's that is three awful defences, let's be honest. I mean none of those three guys are are what's considered to be world level, are they? Let's be honest. I mean I mean if you're an American boxing fan Who's John O'Carroll? Who is uh, James Tennyson? Who is Fonseca? I mean, he got knocked out by Javante Davis. That's his claim to fame. Um, but yeah, you know, a good round there in the seventh round. Like I say, going off in another direction there, but a good round there for Tevin Farmer. 5-2, I had it going into the eighth. In the eighth, I actually gave it to Carroll. I mean, you could just see the work that he put in to win the round. It was nothing really heavy in terms of what he landed, but the sheer effort and the amount of punches, the volume uh, was enough to give him the round for me. His relentlessness was just incredible. 5-3. In the ninth round, that was probably where Carroll had his best round. I mean, Tevin either took the round off or was really feeling the pace it was a clear clear carol round it seemed like his second wind kicked in but 5-4 I had it going into the 10th in the 10th round I felt on my scorecard it was a real important round at that point I gave it uh I gave it to I had Carroll winning the round, but I think in the last 30 seconds, Tevin was boxing and moving beautifully, and I think he just probably nicked it. It could have been a 10-10, but I think he probably just about nicked it, uh, Tevin Farmer. So so what's that? That is um, 6-4 after 10 rounds. In the 11th round, a big round for Farmer. It was a shame, really, because Jono started the round so well, and he just seemed to thin out as the round went on. Uh, like I say, he was winning the round, but it turned around, and Tevin hurt Jono badly in that 11th round. Jono looked on the verge of actually being stopped his legs were gone and he was saved by the bell but like I say what a heart that John O'Carroll has and then uh, in the 12th round it was now 7-4 in the 12th round John needed a knockout it wasn't really going to happen was it uh, I think the 12th round probably could have gone either way um, to be honest I think if I had to edge it it would have probably gone to Carroll which would mean my scorecard would have been 7-5 uh, which is a very close fight considering the jump up in class John had to make for this fight it was a good, good effort. A lot of people had it very, very wide. I, I mean, listen, they, we, we all like lovely, you know, beautiful, sweet science boxing, and Tevin has that. John O'Carroll was never going to outdo Tevin in that department, but the work rate, the punch volume, you know, a lot of people don't like to score punches to the body for some reason. You can't, 
you can't be a good boxing judge and not score clean body shots. I mean, what the hell? But yeah, good fight, good effort from Jono, and his stocks go up from this. They really do. Brave, brave, brave Irishman there with a humongous set of nuts. Um, moving out now to the Memorial Center in Gifu, Japan. We got to see Kosi Tanaka move to 13-0, and a successful defense of his WBO World Flyweight title against Ryochi Taguchi, who's now 27-4 and with two draws. Taguchi still never been stopped. Um, I predicted that on last week's show. We didn't actually do the prediction league on that fight itself, but I said that I'd probably go the distance um, in favour of Tanaka. Moving out now to the Oldham Leisure Centre in Lancashire, United Kingdom. We got to see over here uh, Seb Eubank. He moved to 2-0, and a points win over four rounds against Remigius Ziausis, who now has a record of 20 wins, 101 losses and 5 draws. Uh, Mark Heffron also returned on that bill there. He's now 22-1, and a points win over 6 rounds against Serge Ambomo, who's now 6-10 and with 1 draw. Moving out now to the Harvey Haddon Sports Village in Nottingham. A guy called Echo Esuman. I think he's from Botswana or something like that. Uh, but he's come over here. He's managed to win the English welterweight title. And it was a defense for him here against Tyrone Nurse. A man coming off three back-to-back losses. He seems to possibly be at the towel end of his career. Um, Esuman was actually cut on his left eye in the second round. And then Nurse was cut on his left eye in the fifth round. But it ended up being a close fight. A majority decision over. 10 rounds in favour of Esuman. He keeps the English title. He's now 10-0. and 0, And that's now four back-to-back losses for Tyrone Nurse. 35-6 and 6 with two draws. Uh, four losses in a row, uh, all by decision. One was a split. One was a majority. And the other two were unanimous. So, yeah, perhaps he's coming to the end for, for him. Uh, moving out now to the House of Blues in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Friend of the show, Gary Spike O'Sullivan. I mean, he tweeted saying that 200,000 people, I'm sure it was 200,000 people, tuned in to watch him fight live on Facebook. That's incredible. Anyway, he moved to 30 wins. He's got the three losses. He took on Kiari Gray, who had a record of 16-4 and four with 12 knockouts. He's now 16-5. and five. He got knocked out. A TKO in the sixth round there. A good win there for Mr. O'Sullivan, friend of the show. Moving out now to the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, USA. We're going to start with the undercard here. Charles Martin, 25-2 and two with one draw. Former IBF heavyweight world champion. He took on a guy who was undefeated called Greg Corbin. He was 38 years of age. He was 15-0. and 0. Um, Yeah, Charles Martin was winning the fight. And then Greg Corbin got disqualified for repeated low blows in the eighth round of a scheduled 10. So he really ruined it for himself there. He loses his O by disqualification. Charles Martin now 26-2 and two with one draw. Also on the bill, which would be a good fight actually if they... If they get it on down the line. Charles Martin and Chris Ariola, 37-5 and five with one draw. He took on Jean-Pierre Augustin, another undefeated man, 17-0 and 0 with one draw. A TKO in the third round for Chris Ariola. Um, typical Chris Ariola type fight. Um, you know, he, he, he likes to just try and get the job done early. Uh, especially when he takes on a guy who's relatively untested. I remember the job he did on Seth Mitchell all those years ago, and now against this guy here, Jean-Pierre Augustin, a man that didn't really have any signature wins on his record going in. I actually saw the odds for Chris Ariola to get a knockout in the first round. I think it was 33-1. to one. The knockout in the second round was 28-1, to one, and a knockout in the third round was 28-1. to one. 
I think I put a, it was about fifty p or a pound on the first three rounds, and of course he got it in that in that uh, in that third round. And it, uh, you know, it's, it's to be expected, really. This guy was out of his depth. Chris Ariola, despite being quite old, and he's you know he's long in the tooth. He's his, his best days are well and truly behind him now. Um, he is dangerous for the first few rounds. I'd love to see him and Shannon Briggs get it on. I mean, they're both so dangerous for the first few rounds. But, um, yeah, Chris Ariola, those odds were crazy for the first three rounds there. Um, 38 and 5 with one draw. Ariola now is looking for a big fight on the back of this. I'm not quite sure who I'd like to see him in there with. Lewis Neary moved to 29-0. and 0. He made his opponent retire on his store after four rounds. His opponent, Joe Arroyo, now 18-3. and 3. He was down four times during the four rounds. So uh, a good win there for Lewis Neary. Completely, uh, completely dominated his man. It was a bit of a mismatch, really. David Benavidez, wow. 21-0 and 0 now. A knockout in the second round against J. Leon Love. 24-3 and 3 with one draw. Both men were friends of the show. Um, Love actually came out in that first first round really aggressive he really tried to apply the pressure but Benavidez only obliged and he was happy to trade with Love which was obviously bad news for Love and that was where the danger started Benavidez hurt Love and buckled his legs a few times in that first round the hand speed and power of Benavidez is ridiculous I'd love to see him fight Callum Smith down the line but yeah the second round Benavidez did get the stoppage he hit Love with a right hand I believe it was and he backed Love into the ropes and Benavidez then just swarmed him with a barrage of unanswered punches and the referee jumped in and stopped it uh, that that left hook that Benavidez possesses is such a dangerous punch. Uh, the main event, though, for the IBF World Welterweight title, Errol Spence Jr., 25-0 now. He defeated Mikey Garcia. He denied him his 40th win. Mikey Garcia now 39-1. He jumped up two weight classes. Uh, he thought he was good enough. He didn't think the size would come into it. I thought he was good enough. You didn't, as you correctly predicted, at Errol Spence points win. That is what happened. I'm gutted because I love Mikey Garcia. And, um, you know, a lot of people were laughing, thinking it's funny. I just can't understand how you would hate on Mikey Garcia. I mean, he doesn't avoid anyone. He's one of the best fighters in the world. He's gone up to fight a man that no one in the man's own weight division wants to fight. He's gone up there, dared to be great, and he came up short. But he didn't disgrace himself. The size was so, so much the factor in the fight. He didn't get stopped. He took bombs on his chin. He didn't go nowhere. He didn't really... Um, you know, seemed troubled at any point. I mean, the, the towel could have come in because he was taking a bit of a beating, but nothing was phasing him. I mean, he was taking the shots, and it was, you know, it was, it was quite unbelievable. But how courageous was it from Mikey Garcia? What a fighter. Um, I, I think his stocks probably will go up. He's lost his own now, but... Um, you know, it's a shame. It, it was such a valiant uh, performance, though, from Mikey Garcia. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely gay, but the size was just... It was just it was just too much. And Spence, you know, the work rate, he didn't stop all night throwing punches. The jab was a real problem for Mikey. He seemed like he couldn't get round the jab. And you can't really fault Errol, you know, you can't really fault him. But once again, unfortunately, he gets a win over a guy who's smaller than him. I just want him to fight someone who's a legit one four seven, true one four seven fighter. Please, just give it to us, please. I don't want to see him take another fight against a smaller guy. Um, round one though, Errol Spence, you know, he wasn't really over committing at that point. He was working his jab. Everything came from the jab. Mikey didn't really even try to outland Errol. He probably threw about four shots max in that first round. It was a clear Spence round. Nothing telling landed at all, but it was a bit of a feeling out process kind of thing. A bit of a jab fest. 
Uh, the second round, the first half of the round, not much really happened, but Mikey did pick up the tempo and finally let his hands go towards the end of the round. I felt he probably stole the round. Uh, again, nothing telling landed, uh, really, and not many people agreed that Mikey won the round, but for me, 1-1 one, one after 2. In the third round, things started heating up in that third. You'd have to give the round to Spence. Uh, the size factor already seemed to, to be playing a very important part in the fight. It was a big disadvantage for Mikey, so I had it 2-1 uh, to Spence going into that fourth round and like I say Mikey you know I was I was a bit worried already after three rounds he couldn't afford to let the early rounds slip away from him because what's the plan is he going to try and stop Errol late on I just think that was a bit too risky but he seemed like he he was just letting the rounds slip away there was no real desperation from him um, going into the fourth round a big big round for Errol Spence it was all Spence once again it was worrying signs for Mikey he was too small he wasn't throwing in bunches he was probably worried about being countered but his singular shot work just wasn't enough to match what Spence was doing Spence was able to commit to a combination probably without worrying too much about what was coming back at him and Mikey's chin got checked a few times and he took the shots well he's a brave brave and hard man Mikey and like I say he did have some success in the dying seconds but it certainly wasn't enough to win the round the fifth round both men had their moments but again Spence did enough to win it it was the size difference once again that played a part when Spence popped out that jab it was so difficult for Garcia to do anything really the sixth round it was a close round honestly being generous it probably went to Mikey very generous it went to Mikey uh, he once again took some bombs but he gave it back and he gritted it out he bit down on the gum shield like a true Mexican madman that he is and he traded with Spence in that 6th in the 7th for clear Spence round in the 8th Mikey took some bombs it was sad to see at that point I mean Errol was outlanding Mikey massively and he was starting to put a dent in him whereas Mikey couldn't really put a dent in Spence the whole fight but still like I say good effort from Mikey a chess match most of the time uh, Mikey's such a clever fighter the ring IQ is unbelievable but Errol Spence didn't need to match him in ring IQ. The size made up for the difference in the two. And in the ninth round, Spence started to walk Mikey down. There was an argument, really, for a 10-8 round. It was all Spence. He was really going to work. It was worrying signs. Uh, in the tenth round, once again, another big round for Spence. There was an argument. His corner, um, this is Garcia's corner. They should probably pull him out at that point. Uh, you know, like I say, it was it was shocking, though, to see the chin of Garcia, you know, hold up like that. Some people have, have said for a while that he's he's got like a like a secret glass chin well he proved his chin and I, I can't see him being stopped by anyone under 147 I mean he took shots from a man that most people say is one of the biggest punchers at 147 so what would have to happen would he have to fight a 154 pounder to get stopped I mean this guy's chin is insane um, don't don't come at me with any glass chin um accusations I mean that was unbelievable you know he took the shots that welterweights can't seem to take um, in the 11th round a awful round for Mikey Garcia he was getting bullied around the ring he was too brave for his own good um, I was proud to see him seeming like he was going to go the distance but you know it was a type of fight where you could potentially lose years off your career it was a real one-sided beat down and in the 12th round another Errol Spence round um but yeah, take nothing away from Spence. He did what he had to do. Um, I, I just need him to fight a true 147 pounder though because like I said on last week's show, you ca you can't really move him up in the pound-for-pound -pound rankings or the welterweight rankings after beating a lightweight here, can you? It wasn't a fight on fair ground really, was it? You know, It was a bit of a lose-lose for Errol Spence going in. I understand that, you know, but Mikey Garcia... 
Uh, some people say he, you know, he didn't really have anything to lose. I think he did. I think he lost a lot of pride there. I think he was absolutely gutted, but he still showed his class in that post-fight interview. If you haven't realised already, I'm quite biased to Mikey Garcia. I love Mikey to death. But um, yeah, that was it for that one. Moving out now to the final bill to mention. It happened at the Madison Square Garden Theatre in New York, USA. It was on Sunday night. We got to see Paddy Barnes. I as. Well, he, he looked to pick up win number six. It wasn't to be for him. He's now 5-2. and two. He lost to Oscar Majika, a man he was expected to walk through. Uh, Majika was 11-5 and five with one draw. It ended up being a split decision over six rounds in favour of Majika. Um, quite surprising to see one judge even give it to Paddy Barnes, really. It was quite one-sided. It was close. Don't get me wrong. It was probably a 4-2 kind of fight. An absolute push. An absolute push. And a bit of a robbery. You could have probably had it a draw. But um, it wasn't to be. And the reason why I say it was it was one-sided is because Majika should have got a knockdown. I think it was in the second or third round. Paddy Barnes took a knee. It wasn't even like it was a dodgy thing. You know, a, a dodgy punch. The referee didn't really see it. And then he went down and said it was no knockdown. Paddy Barnes voluntarily took a knee. And the referee didn't give it a 10-8 round. It probably ended up being a 10-9 round in Barnes's favour. Unbelievable. But anyway, Barnes did get back up. And he fought like... A real Irish warrior, once again. He did himself proud. He got back up and fought like an absolute madman. And he was extremely desperate from that point onwards. And you can't really fault him for what he did. He, he got up and fought well, but yeah, he didn't win the fight. He admitted that in the ring afterwards. And he's even toying now with the possibility of retirement, which is a bit of a shame to see, to be honest. He is a friend of the show, Paddy Barnes. And topping the bill, Michael Conlon on St. Paddy's Day. Uh, and St. Paddy's Day weekend, he moved to 11-0. and 0. It was for the WBO Intercontinental Featherweight title. He got a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Ruben Hernandez, who's now 24-4 and 4 with two draws. Another uh, another win there for, for Conlon. He banks 10 important rounds. But that is about it for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBC super middleweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Anthony Durrell. Anthony, welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing? How y'all doing? How y'all doing? We're all good, my friend. We're even better now speaking with you. So, Anthony, you're fresh off that win over Avni Yildirim four weeks back. Uh, the fight seemed to have a bit of a strange ending, I think it's fair to say. The ringside doctor stopped it. Uh, it went to the judges' scorecards. A technical decision in favour of yourself after ten rounds. Please talk us through the fight. It was a good fight while it lasted. Yeah, uh, he had me a couple of times. You know, I, I think I was just... I mean, everybody can see the outpunch that I I put up. I outpunched him. I, I landed him. And uh, I think I was winning the fight by a little bit more than what they had it. But the, we got the job done. He headbutted me twice. I don't think that he knew that he headbutted me. But you can clearly see it. Uh, you clearly see a headbutt twice. So uh, I got the victory. Uh, there there was a little upset, but you know I got the like I said I got the job done. And the controversial part of the fight was probably that one judge actually had Yildirim in front by six rounds at the time of the stoppage. The other two judges had it six rounds to four in your favour. Uh, what were your thoughts on that scorecard there from Jurgen Langos? Yeah, that was uh, it was kind of weird, but you know, you I I think you get you know you get judges like that. I don't know what he was watching. I don't know how he was so different from the other judges, but. You got to look at the how the judges sit. They sit in each 
on each side of the ring. So you see three different perspectives from the fight, but I don't think in one in any of the perspectives that they see me losing that fight. But like I say, it, it happens. Uh, you know, we got to get better at officiating, but I got the, I got the victory, and that's what it's about. Now, I didn't actually know that Jurgen Langos was a judge in that fight. I've only just found that out about an hour ago. And um, I, I just want to tell you this, and this is quite staggering. I actually did my homework on Jurgen Langos a few weeks ago because he, he gave a real questionable scorecard then. Only two times in 450 fights has he actually scored the fight to an away fighter coming to Germany. Or in this case, he's gone with Yildirim pretty much to, to your hometown. So... You know, it's, it's almost like you're the away fighter because I feel like he's so much in the other fighter's corner. It is very bizarre. I think that judge uh, has, has, has committed too many uh, dodgy scorecards, but we'll leave that there. Uh, the news is, Anthony, that, that your next fight must be against David Benavidez. Is that actually 100% true? Uh, I'm not for sure. Uh, we're still working out the details. I'm not too for sure, but like I say, I'm... I think I said this multiple times to, you know, people that did interviews with me. I, I'm chasing the money now. Uh, I got the championship. I'm a two-time world champion. I think I deserve a big payday. And I think David Benavides will get it. I'm trying to get the thing done if we can get it done. But, uh, you know, that that's the plan. And, you know, talking about that, you're, you're a two-time world champion. I, I looked once again at your resume, and your resume over the last few years has been probably one of the strongest in the super middleweight division. I mean, you've been fighting good fighter after good fighter, you know, way back to the Saki Obika fights. Um, what did you make of, of, of Benavidez's win on the weekend? He looked pretty good, to be honest. Uh, I mean, he looked good. He looked how he was supposed to look with Jaleon Love. I mean, you know, Jaleon's not a big puncher. He's not a big boxer. We've seen his last, his last fight with Peter Quillen where he ran and survived the whole fight. But David Benavidez did what he was supposed to do and got him out of there. I thought he should have got him out of there in the first round. Jaleon was really hurt. thought he should have got him out of there in the first round. But like I say, he got there nonetheless, and uh, he got the job done. And I want to get your take on Caleb Plant. I mean, obviously your brother had the two fights against Uzkata Guy, and Uzkata Guy was a very tricky customer for your brother. And because of that, mm-hmm. I thought Uzkata Guy would probably walk through Caleb Plant, but Caleb Plant beat him quite comfortably. What's your take on him as a champion? You know what? I took, I was commentating that fight. You know what I told everybody? I said if Caleb Plant can box and hit him with some substantial at, out the gate, he'd get his respect. And uh, he did that. I mean, he banged with the banger and he boxed when he wanted to. And that was the key of winning. You know, he hit angles. He knocked Uskataki down a couple times. And uh, that was the key. I mean, he, he looked excellent. He looked like a real champion in that fight, as I told him after the fight. Yeah, he truly did. And talking of your brother, how is he? What's next for him, Anthony? He's good. I think he's moving up to uh, 175 pounds. I think he'll feel more comfortable at that weight. Uh, I think it was just the weight loss getting to him. You know, 168 pounds, it's uh, it's challenging on your body, especially when you get up there in age and uh, you've been doing it for a long time. Your body just don't want to do it no more. So I think he'll uh, go up and, and be comfortable there. Okay, and um, you, you talk about wanting that money fight. Who do you see as, you know, being that guy to, to make that mega money? It seems like Canelo's obviously gone back down to 160. Obviously, that would have been the mega money fight. Who is the mega money fight? Is it Callum Smith? Who is it? I mean, I don't know. It could be Callum Smith or it could be uh, David Benavides. You know, people show up for him. People show up for Callum Smith. 
it just all depends. If you can give me that money, I'll, you know, that's the way I'm going towards. But uh, I think, I, like I said, I think I deserve the money shot. The two-time world champion, uh, I've been through a lot of wars, and uh, I think I deserve it. So that's what that's definitely what I'm looking for. Okay, so it's, it seems a little bit too early right now to know when your next fight will likely take place or where it yeah. will be. That's fine. Uh, what are your thoughts on the other fighters in the super middleweight division, Anthony? Where would you perhaps rank them from best to least best? I'm guessing you'd have yourself at number one. Who's number two, three, four, and five? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I can't really say. You know, you got to be in the ring to really understand how these fighters fight. On the outside looking in, I'll, I'll have to rate... Uh, it's close between Benavides and Callum Smith. I'll put both of them at second. It's close between them two, and then you have to go with the other champions in the weight classes. Uh, from Caleb Plant, he looked excellent his last fight. To uh, Ramirez, I think he's vacating his title, so it's uh, it's iffy there. But uh, I mean, it, it's a lot of lot of warriors at 168. I think 168 is a one of the biggest divisions in boxing right now. It's heavyweight. A welterweight, and then I think it's a super middleweight. So, like I say, uh, I can't really rate rate the people just offhand, you know. But that'd be a rating if I'm just on the outside looking in. Yeah, for sure. And two big name fighters, uh, especially over here, but they did make their marks over in the U.S. Also, have recently retired. We've seen the retirement of George Groves. We've seen the retirement of James mm-hmm. Miguel. Uh, what's your thoughts mm-hmm. on those two guys retiring? Good fighters leaving the division. Big names, like I say. Uh, well, James Aguil, two-time world champion. He uh, he won a title. He won the title twice, yes, right? Yes, Am I yes. correct? Yep, he won a title twice, and uh, I mean, he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish in boxing. He won an Olympic medal, and then he won a uh, world title. So he did what he accomplished in uh boxing. And then George Gross, he's a he was a good rugged fighter. He's he was a slick kind of slick uh puncher. But uh, I think I, I think he was uh, he going out too quick, if you ask me. But you know what I'm saying? I can't judge his body. Yeah. You know, people are made different, so you got to judge. You know, you got to you got to aside with the person of what he wanted to do with his decision. His decision was to retire. You got to respect that. Yeah, very well said. And coming down to the final two questions now, Anthony, I want to ask you, um, I'm guessing you must have sparred some big names over the years. Who are some of the guys that you've done rounds with in the gym? Oh shoot! Uh, uh, you know what I just did? Like, like I don't know if these really count because I I spar heavyweights. I spar like I bring cruiserweights to my camp and spar. I don't spar super wow. middleweights. I spar I spar light heavyweights and cruiserweight. But I, I I spar Brian Jennings, and I think he was just playing. I mean, he's a heavyweight, but he, you know, I told him to hit me a little hard because I want to. You know, that's how I'm getting prepared for these guys, but. I can't really remember. I aspired with some some good guys. I really did. I can't I can't think about think of everybody, but I, I aspire with some good guys. <laughs> I just one of them. No, I always ask that question to people that we speak to from overseas, and it's quite mm-hmm. surprising how many of them go completely mind blank and go, "Do you know what? I can't yep. think of more than one guy." It's funny. Yeah. But, um, I want to put you on the spot a little bit here. I like to ask this question yeah. to everybody that we speak to from overseas, Anthony. Who would you say is your favorite UK fighter from any era? It can be a guy that's retired a long time ago. It can be a guy that's still fighting now. Any era. From the UK, uh. 
can throw a few names out to help you out. Some of the popular yeah, answers. yeah, please. You've got the likes please. of. I know. You know what? I like Joe Calzaghe. Yeah, yeah, very popular. Yeah, answer. Joe Calzaghe was a was a good one. I think Joe Calzaghe. Uh, I mean, he did everything in the sport. He uh, he was just champion. Like he did what he wanted to do in boxing and uh, retired undefeated. Forty six and oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it really for the questions, Anthony. Just before I let you go, I wanted to really give you an opportunity perhaps to send out a message to, to anyone that supports you from over here in the UK. I know that the UK fans take to the Darrell mm. brothers, not just yourself, also Andre. Uh, what's your message to, to, to the guys that support you over here? Uh, just I appreciate your support and keep supporting me. Uh, I'm trying to get to UK soon. Honestly, uh, I'm in my... Me and my wife been talking about coming over there. Maybe I'll do an event while I'm over there, you know, visit a few gyms. But thank you for you guys' support. Uh, I really appreciate it. Excellent. Right, listen, Anthony, it truly has been a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. We'll keep an eye out for an announcement hopefully soon, and we'll catch up sometime in the near future. Appreciate it. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Ayaz, take it away. What you got? The EBU have named Joy Joyce as the mandatory challenger for Agat Cabiel's European title. Yeah, Cabiel, obviously a man that beat Derek Chisora on points in Monaco. He just recently beat uh, Andre Rodenko just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah, he's a young guy. I think he's only 26. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction, really, for Joyce. The only problem is Cabiel's not really a big name, but he is ranked with all the, uh, I think he's ranked with, maybe two or three sanctioning bodies. So he's got some nice rankings. Maybe Joe Joyce will, will beat him and take those rankings. To be honest with you, if I'm being honest, Cabiel, um, I've been talking to Michael Hunter, and he's kind of been saying, you know, which which heavyweights would you like to see me fight, etc. And I wanted Michael Hunter to fight Cabiel, because I think Michael Hunter would obliterate Cabiel. And Cabiel's actually ranked in the two... Uh, sanctioning organizations that Michael Hunter's not ranked in. So he's ranked in the other two. So let's just say Michael's ranked with a WBC and IBF or something like that, or a WBC and WBA. And this guy is ranked with a WBO and IBF. So beating him, then he'd be ranked with all four of them, Michael Hunter. But um, it's just not looking like that's going to happen, unfortunately. But he wanted that fight. Um, but yeah, Cabiel Joyce, if it happens, I think Joyce wins. I think Joyce is just too big for Cabiel, you know, it's too fluid for Cabiel. Um, I don't think Cabiel would be able to deal with the, the, the pace of the fight. But Cabiel is a good fighter, by the way. Let's not knock him. I mean, he he's a good fighter. It could be quite interesting because Cabiel actually, from, from what I saw in the Chisora fight, he throws a lot more than most heavyweights. And obviously Joe Joyce, the juggernaut, he throws a million punches. Um, it, well, <laughs> people are going to laugh at that. Not the, not the fastest punches, but he's got the output. He, he throws a lot of punches. Let, let's, let's, let me choose my words right. So that fight would be uh, quite interesting, I think. But yeah, Joe Joyce wins it for me. Carl Frampton has signed a co-promotional deal with Top Rank and Frank Warren. Yeah, it's good to see he's still working with Frank Warren. Um, he, he seems like he's done this, this deal now with, uh, with, with, with Top Rank, as you mentioned. It seems like all of Frank's big fighters are you know, going half and half with him and Bob Arum. It's a bit of a shame for UK fans, I'd, I'd, I'd say. Uh, obviously, Tyson Fury, um, uh, Carl Frampton, I've, I'm not sure, but there's a lot of rumours about Billy Joe Saunders also doing that kind of thing, so it'd be a bit of a shame if that does happen. But um, I'm, I'm guessing that the Oscar Valdez fight will probably be happening 
probably before the end of the year, so uh, we'll have to wait and see. Oscar Valdez, I'll definitely get him back on the show if that fight does happen. Uh, he's, a, he's a friend of the show. He, he's got a pet called Steve the Alligator, and we like we like Oscar Valdez. So yeah, good 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 move really for Frampton. Seems like he's coming to the tail end of his career. To be honest, um, quite clearly the Leo Santa Cruz rematch won't be happening now because Bob Arum's involved, but. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he gets a you know a nice couple of paydays before he decides to hang them up. Dubois will headline a show on Wem- at Wembley Arena on twenty seventh of April. Yeah, April twenty seventh at the Wembley Arena, he takes on a guy called Richard Larty, a fighter from Ghana, uh, fourteen and one with eleven knockouts. He's one loss. He actually retired on his stall after five rounds against a guy who's still undefeated, who's twelve and zero, a Swiss heavyweight um, who actually hasn't fought for four years. But that's another matter. So uh, yeah, I mean it's not the biggest kind of fight out there for Dubois. Uh, it's, it's another fight I'm expecting he's going to win and in, in good style also. Also on that bill, we get to see Larone Richards, 11-0. and 0. He's in a fight against Tommy Langford, 21-3. and 3. I really, really like that fight. That one's for the vacant Commonwealth and vacant WBO international super middleweight title. So Larone Richards finally gets a big fight. It's been a long time coming. Zach Chelly takes on Jimmy Smith for the Southern Area super middleweight title. Zach Chelly, real good fighter. Sonny Edwards returns on that bill and so does Jack Catterall so it should be a good night of boxing um, I'm really looking forward to that one is that it for the news Ayaz yeah? yes that's it for the news thank you very much Ayaz right moving now to the preview part of the show the final real part of the show we're going to start in Chile which is a weird place to start. I don't think we've ever started in Chile before. At the Gran Arena Monticello in San Francisco de Mostazao. We get to see a guy here called Miguel Gonzalez, 29-1. and His one loss came to Paul Butler. He takes on Andrew Maloney, the twin brother of Jason Maloney, the man that crashed out at the World Boxing Super Series when he lost to, uh, to Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez, is it? The guy that's fighting in UA. Uh, in Scotland, but anyway, yeah, a 12-round contest here, uh, Miguel Gonzalez and Andrew Maloney, good fight, it's gone under the radar, moving out now to Russia at the Serpukov, Fedor Chudinov, former opponent of George Groves, 18-2, and two. he's in a 10-round contest against Wuzhati Nualang, who's got 11 wins and 2 losses, a 10-rounder there, uh, moving out now to the Sport Hall in Hungary, this is a strange one. You wouldn't believe me if I told you this. Um, Prince Patel, 18-0 and 0 now with one draw. He's in an eight-rounder against Selimani Bangaiza, who's got a record of 15-5. and 5. Uh, Also on the bill, part of his world tour, Ashley Fiafane turns up, the former Mayweather promotion star. Uh, his record, 46-8 and 8 with one draw. He's in an eight-rounder against Salt Fries. Salt fry, salty fries. He's fighting seven and five. That's an eight rounder there. Also on the bill, friend of the show. Ashley Fearfane's a friend of the show, but also another friend of the show. Heavyweight Mark Damori. He's on it. Uh, he's he's in his fortieth fight. Thirty-five and two with two draws and eight rounder against Laszlo Fekete, who's four and two. Boy, oh boy. Anyway, moving out now to Poland at the Hala Sportowa. Uh, we get to see over here Christoph Wladzik, uh, 56 and 4 with one draw. He's in a 10 rounder against Alexandru Jur, who's got a record of 18 and 2. Moving out now to the Leicester Arena in United Kingdom. Uh, this one's going to be on BT Sport and on ESPN Plus. We get to see over here. 
the brother of Tyson Fury, Tommy Fury, 1-0, undefeated under the guidance of Ricky Hatton. He's in a four-rounder against Maxim's Ergakovs, who's 0-3. Willie Hutchinson, friend of the show, um, he's on the bill. His record 6-0, six-rounder, no opponent just yet. Leon Woodstock, 11-1, his opponent yet to be announced. That's an eight-rounder there. CJ Challenger, 9-0, he fights for the vacant Midlands area super welterweight title against Kyle Haywood, 8-0. I believe he had to quit his day job to train harder to try and win this fight. Sammy Maxwell, 10-0, he fights for the vacant WBO European super lightweight title against Kelvin Dotel, who's 14-4. I do want to see Sam Maxwell in some big fights in the very near future. Uh, Sam Bowen, 14-0, takes on Jordan McCory. That's a 12-rounder for Bowen's British super featherweight title. Jordan McCory, 17-4 with one draw. Moving out now to the Copper Box Arena in uh, in London, United Kingdom. Uh, over here we have the first defense of Charlie Edwards' WBC World Flyweight title. His record, 14-1. He takes on former sparring partner Angel Moreno, 19 and two with two draws, a 12-round contest. We've gone to the predictions, Ayaz. How do you see it? I think it's going to be a very tough fight for Charlie because obviously it's his first defence of his world title. But if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to win by Charlie on points. Charlie on points, okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to agree, actually. So do the listeners. Marino's never been stopped. And the fact that they've done rounds together, I think when Charlie was getting ready to take on John Real Casemiro, that tells me that they were probably... Uh, you know, not sparring to try and take each other's heads off. And sometimes when you've sparred with a guy, you know how he is and you know what to expect, so to speak. And for that reason, nothing kind of shocks you about him. But then again, I think Charlie Edwards has come on since then. He definitely has, of course. So it uh, could be interesting. I hope he gets the stoppage. Um, also on the bill, Josh Boazzi, 9-0. He's in search of win number 10. It's for the vacant British light heavyweight title. He takes on Liam Conroy, 16-3 with one draw. Obviously, the British was vacated by Callum Johnson. Um, we're going to go to the predictions on that one also, Ayaz. Um, good fight, Boazzi and Conroy. How do you see it? I think it's gonna be. A, I think this will be a good, uh, decent fight for Joshua Boazzi. Obviously, Boazzi is the next rising star in boxing. So if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Joshua Boazzi by knockout. Yeah, I think if Boetsy is the real deal, I think if the hype around him is real, then I think he gets Conroy out of there. So I'm going to agree with you there, Ayaz, and so do the listeners. Oh, boy, oh, boy. 94% of the voters have gone with Boetsy by knockout. That is insane. Uh, also on the bill, Lawrence Sokoli defends his British uh, cruiserweight title. I think Camacho brings the Commonwealth belt to the fight. But Sokoli 11-0, Wadi Camacho 21-7. Once again, we're going to the predictions on this, Ayaz. I think that Wadi Camacho is not going to try and box Sokoli uh, like Chamberlain did, like um, the other guy did whose name has eluded me at the moment on the Joshua Vetkin undercard. Who did it? Matty Askin, that was it. Um, I don't think he's going to try and box like those guys did. I think he will come and try and have a fight. I think it'll be quite um, quite fun while it lasts, but ultimately I see Akoli getting the stoppage. Um, how do you see it, Ayaz? The listeners, 93% of them have also gone Akoli by knockout. I guess you're... I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I'm going to go for uh, Lawrence Akoli by knockout. Okay, okay, okay. Moving down the bill, the return of Lewis Ritson, 17-1. and one. He's been sparring David Avanesian. I'd have liked to have seen that one. Apparently, the spa was unbelievable. Anyway, he's in a 10-rounder against German Argentino Benitez, 21-3. and Let me just see this guy. Has he boxed anyone? Let's just have 
a quick little look. Um, as you know, on this show, we don't really take little breaks to have little looks. It's very, very rare. But this guy, I'm sure I've seen him before. Three losses, one by knockout. It came to someone I've never heard of. So, yeah, he's, he's uh, yeah looking at his record. No one of note on that record at all. So, Lewis Ritson, you'd expect to get the win. Although, it's going to be interesting to see what he looks like after, obviously, losing his last fight to Patera. Uh, Benitez is not really a banger. He's got nine wins from his 21 uh, sorry, nine knockouts from his 21 wins. Also on the bill, Jason Quigley, friend of the show, 15-0. He's in a 10-rounder, no opponent just yet. Uh, that's it for that one. Moving on now to the hangar in Costa Mesa, California, USA. This one's going to be on ESPN. It's a top-ranked show. Uh, Jesse Magdaleno, his first return to the ring, I believe, since losing to Isaac Dogbay, which was about a year ago now. 25-1. He takes on Rico Ramos, 30-5. That's a 10-rounder there. Kubrat Pulev, 26 Six and one takes on Bogdan Dinu. Eighteen and one. Dinu in his last fight obviously got stopped by uh, Jarrell Big Baby Miller. That's a ten rounder there. Also the brother, the younger brother of Kubrat Pulev, Tavel Pulev, twelve and zero. Oh. He takes on Mitch Williams, sixteen and seven, with three draws. That's an eight rounder there. Moving out now to the final bill to mention an interesting uh, main event here. We're just going to mention the the, the, the two. The two. Well, I tell you what, we, we'll mention the, the top three fights. This one's on uh, USA Fox. Sports 1, I don't think it's going to be shown in the UK, unfortunately. It's at the MGM National Harbour in Oxon Hill, Maryland, USA. Uh, Lorenzo Simpson, fantastic amateur, 2-0. Uh, I think both wins by knockout. He takes on Earl Henry, who's 0-1 with one draw. That's a four-rounder there. Uh, moving up the bill, Anthony Peterson, 37-1. He's in a 10-rounder against Argenis Mendes, 25-5 with one draw. And the main event, good fight, Ayaz. I'm going to come to you with the prediction here, and it's a better fight than you may think. Think about it for a couple seconds, and then you'll realize it is actually a real interesting clash of styles. Lamont Peterson, 35-4 with one draw, coming off that loss, I believe it was, to Errol Spence. I don't think he's fought in the meantime. He takes on Sergei Lipinets, 14-1. Friend of the show, former IBF 140 world champion. He was dethroned by Mikey Garcia in his sole defeat. 12-round contest. It's interesting because obviously Peterson's loss came to uh, Spence. And of course, uh, Lipinet's loss came to Garcia. They fought last weekend. These guys are fighting this weekend. How do you see that one, as Interesting clash of styles. I think it's going to be a very decent fight for Saga Lipinet versus Lamont Peterson. I mean, obviously, I, uh, I've seen so we've seen Sergio Lipinet fight Mikey Garcia previously. If I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Lamont Peterson to win by points. Do you know what? The listeners have gone with Lipinets, but on points. 60% of the listeners have gone Lipinets on points. And I am with you, Ayaz. I think Peterson might just have the boxing IQ, a few, a few more tricks up his sleeve than... Lipinets. I don't think Lipinets will have the power to to knock uh, Peterson out. I mean, it took Errol Spence a long time to get, uh, you know, he hurt Peterson multiple times and he still actually didn't knock him out. His corner pulled him out. Obviously, uh, Peterson got knocked out by Matisse, but he had freakish power. And Lipinets doesn't really have that kind of power like those guys. So I don't think Lipinets gets the stoppage. And I just think... Peterson is going to have too many ideas for him, so I think Peterson will just nick it on points. It'll probably be quite close. I think Lipinets is quite relentless. He's a tough guy, so I think it will be very interesting while it lasts, and I think it does last the full distance. I think Peterson
Lipinets and just about gets it. But like I say, the listeners are going with Lipinets on points. And just before we wrap up the show and and bring in our final guest, just before we wrap up part two, I just want to revisit the predictions from last week. I as I've got to say here, um, you you actually won the prediction league in terms of that week. Uh, I went with Garcia on points. That didn't happen. The listeners thought that Spence would get the knockout. That didn't happen. But you went with the very unlikely pick of Spence on points. It happened. You gained a point there. And then we all went with Benavidez by knockout. He got that over Jaylion Love in the second round. So two points game for you, Ayaz. One for myself and one for the listeners. So very well done to you there, Ayaz. A little clap from me. But that is it for the show, pretty much. That's it for all the talking anyway. The last thing to do, don't tune out just yet. The last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest just before we wrap up the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF Super Featherweight World Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Steve Forbes. Steve, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. It's a pleasure to have you on, Steve. I do just want to take a quick trip down memory lane before getting on to the latest news with you. Obviously, you turned pro back in December 1996. The biggest night of your pro career, though, I'm guessing, had to be December 3rd, 2000. Tell us about the fight, please. Yes, I fought uh, the very tough and durable John the Beast Brown out of uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Very tough guy who's been in there with with a lot of tough guys. And, uh, yeah, we fought for the vacant uh, IBF Super Featherweight Championship. Um, And I was behind in that fight. I was losing losing, going into the eighth round and – Hit him on the ear, ruptured his eardrum, and I was champion that night. So that's that's one of my my great memories of you know it was it was it was a dream as a kid, you know. So that was that was big. It certainly was. And, you know, sometimes people say to win a world title, you sometimes need that stroke of luck. Obviously, you mentioned there you were behind, uh, you know, going into the eighth round. In the eighth round, the doctor stopped it. Uh, John Brown's ear was bleeding. And, you know, you did give John Brown the rematch. And that was really your chance to kind of you know, wipe away the controversy, if you like. You were able to outpoint him in the rematch over 12 rounds. I'm sure that felt very satisfying to get the win, and it no longer looked at as a lucky win. Yeah, no, it was. And I think, you know, I don't believe I would have been able to live with myself being that I won the title that way, you know. So I thought the rematch, you know, was was definitely needed. And I wanted to clear the air and say, you know what, I'm going to come back focused. I learned a lot. And, you know, I wanted to beat him fair and square with, without any controversy. And excellently, you 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 truly did. Uh, you know, you had a you had a fantastic career. You've you've mixed it with many good fighters over the years, the likes of uh, Cornelius Bundridge, a man that's been on this show before, Oscar De La Hoya, Andre Berto. The list goes on. Who would you say was the best fighter that you fought in a pro ring, Steve? Oh, probably Oscar De La Hoya. You know, I've never, I didn't get to fight Shane though. I always wanted to, but um, De La Hoya, I would say probably the best fighter of of them all. You know, uh, as far as you know, it's you know Olympic gold medalist, multiple you know championships he won, uh, the big left hook they talked about, which you know he does have a very good left hook, but it's. As far as I think the highlight of of my career, I would say, was that fight and just being in there where I wasn't intimidated or anything like that. 
and you know his stature as a as a you know they have champions and they're super champions. I believe his career he was one of those super champions because wherever he fought, whenever he fought, he demanded you know people paid attention. So I would say he was the best the best guy I fought. And in terms of sparring, I mean, you sparred some of the best fighters. I mean, uh, you're one of the few guys that's been in there with Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. What was that like? That must have been unbelievable. Oh, it was great. Uh, Floyd, you know, Floyd Mayweather is like a scientist in there. You know, him and I, you know, we we turned pro together. And, and I knew him since, you know, we were about 16. I, I first met him when we were 16. And I spent a lot of time with him when we were 19. He turned pro, I turned pro. I slept on Uncle Roger's couch. And uh, him and I have probably had the, the most rounds of any anybody in my career that I could say that I spar with. I Floyd and I have hundreds of rounds together. I mean, we would spar. It, it was always competitive because we would start off sparring four rounds and then he would mention, well, let's go another round. And then I would say, well, let's go another round. So we end up doing 12 rounds and they would have to stop us. They would have to stop us from sparring because we would keep trying to out. But we were pushing each other. It was really good. And, uh, of course, Manny Pacquiao, you know, is is, is a phenom himself. You know, uh, relentless energy. Um, you know, he, was, he had a very fast pace. And also got a chance to spar with um, Canelo Alvarez. Wow. Matter of fact, when he when he fought um, Shane Mosley, yeah, I, I sparred with him. He was really he was working a lot more on his technical boxing. You know, he didn't he didn't really try to go at a at a, at a fast pace or anything. He just really wanted to to work on the technical boxing, which is smart. I mean, it, it's it's soothing him well right now. He's he's looking great. You know, he's probably the face of of the sport right now. And yeah, it's been a lot of different guys that I got a chance to work with, and it, it was fun. You know, definitely uh, learning, and I definitely helped them in some of their fights. It was great. And those three names, Canelo, Floyd, and, and Pacquiao, are those the three biggest names you'd say that you've sparred with over the years? Well, also Ricky Hatton. I came out to um, um, the U.K. and and this in Manchester and worked with Ricky Hatton. when He was getting ready to fight uh, Jose Luis Castillo. And uh, came over there to work with him. We did a lot of good body work and stuff like that. Um, Marcos Maidana, Eric Morales. I mean, I can keep going. Kennedy McKinney. Uh, so many different guys. I mean, because Vegas, Las Vegas, you know, I turned pro there. It was a hot bed for all the all the guys to come. And you know, I went there and I knew I I could work with all these guys that I would that I would put myself in a position to win a championship. So. You know, I got a chance to work with all those guys, and you know, and it was, it was kind of like you know a normal Monday or Tuesday. You know, those guys are in the gym. You get a chance to work with different guys. Diego Corrales and I were really, really good buddies. Uh, Freddie Norwood, when he was champion, we used to spar all the time. Stevie Johnston. I mean, it's so many different fighters and champions would come through that through Las Vegas and work out the week a couple of weeks before their fight. So I got a chance to, to work out with all those guys. 
Oh, that's amazing, man. It really is. I love hearing these types of stories. And obviously, in, in boxing, there's there's many nicknames that, that boxers are given to try and emphasize how good they are, how tough they are. But your nickname, Two Pounds, it's, it's, it's a very personal reason as, as to why that's your nickname. Please explain to those that don't know why Two Pounds is the nickname for you. Yeah, when I when I was born, I weighed two pounds. Uh, it's funny about the nickname. At first, I didn't like it, but everybody in my family calls me two pounds. Everybody, uh, all my friends, you know, the neighborhood I grew up in, and and so I would sneak to the boxing gym because my grandma wasn't really too happy about me boxing, and so I would sneak to the gym, and and the gym was right around the corner from our where we lived at, and she would come in there and look through the windows and. One day she came in there and she says, two pound, what are you doing? And everybody says, they look, they say two pound, you know, and that kind of stuck. Uh, you know, the long story short was uh, my grandma allowed me to box because she talked to the coach and he said, this guy has a lot of potential. You know, you got to keep him in the gym. He's not getting in trouble. And so she became my biggest fan. But yeah, the two pound name stuck, you know, like I couldn't, I tried to change it. I wanted to be uh, Sensational Steve. I mean, all these different names. It just, everybody called me two pounds. So I said, you know what? I need to keep this name. I want to. I want to tell you this. There is a heavyweight boxer, a heavyweight boxer right now, still undefeated, and he, when he was born, weighed only one pound. I'm going to give you a couple of guesses. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, I already know. It is Tyson Fury. That's it. Amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew it. It's a special breed of person. You know, they're, that heart. Yeah, Tyson Fury. I, I I recall hearing that a long time ago. Yeah, man. And I said, man, that's that's incredible. One, th- I mean, I was two pounds, and, and that was, you know, unbelievable to hear, especially because, you know, there's not all the medical stuff that they have now. And to hear that he was one pound, wow, you know, it is. It oh is yeah, crazy. it's crazy. So, so Steve, getting back onto your career, uh, you know, your last win was in 2010 against a guy who was 56 and 55, and uh, and two draws. Uh, most of his wins and losses came by a knockout. Quite a crazy fighter, really. Um, he's still fighting, actually, that same guy. But back to what I was saying. You know, yeah. since that since that win in 2010, you you had six back to back losses between 2011 and 2014. Most people would view that and say you were certainly on the decline at that stage. Now you're 42 years of age. You haven't boxed since 2014, but you're back in the ring on April 6th. You're back from this four and a half year layoff. Tell us more, Steve. Why right. why return to the ring? <laughs> well, I would say also too with the losses, there have been some controversy in, in a lot of those fights. Very true. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think I, I believe I understand boxing. The way it works is you want to get a guy kind of, you know, get rid of them. Let's start adding some losses. And what happens is, you know, I'll fight against guys that's promoted by the house promoter. You're not going to get it. I had a fight in, um, Florida against Johan Perez. He was a w, former WBA interim champion. It was televised here in the U.S. One judge had it a draw. The other two judges had it his for him. This was in 2013, I want to say. Everybody there thought I won the fight. I thought I won the fight. Not going to get it. For, you know, it, 
a lot of these fights have been like really close where, you know, I don't get the benefit of the doubt. And, and so what made me say, you know what, maybe I should, I'm going to take a rest first. I was in training camp with Floyd, Floyd Mayweather for his fight against Andre Berto. And, you know, people came to watch us spar. And after the first day of us sparring, you know, everybody was really quiet. Nobody said anything. And Floyd said to me, he said, you know what? You could still do this, man. He says, yeah, you got some losses on your record, but I know how this sport works. If you're not promoted by the the promoter, you're not going to get it. And, you know, and I've always known that. So, I, you know, I've always kind of said, you know, let me see what I can do. I'm going to get myself in condition. I would have to be my own promoter. And that's what I thought about. I said, I would have to be my own promoter. I want to give my body a rest. I want to see how I feel. And, you know, it wasn't a guarantee that I was going to come back and fight. But so I started working out with a lot of guys. And, you know, I kind of got, I kind of got this thing in my head. I said, well, let me see what I can do. So I started doing a lot of sparring and, you know, I, I felt pretty good in there and, and my speed was good and everything was good. And, and then I, I've always thought about my life. I've always been an underdog in everything I've done. I've always been kind of written off. When I turned pro, I didn't even turn pro in my home state because nobody would give me fights. They didn't think I could do it. So I went to Las Vegas. Four years later, I'm a world world champion. Um, after that, you know, I got stripped of the title because, you know, I couldn't make the weight anymore. So a few years, a couple of years later, I'm on the contender. I'm 20 pounds heavier fighting on that show, 20 pounds heavier at 150. People said they thought I, I, that I was crazy. There's no, I'm not a puncher, but I made it to the finals of that show. So I get to fight Oscar De La Hoya. People think I'm insane. I'm going to get knocked out. I'm too small. Oscar De La Hoya went home with a broken eye socket. So I, I think I'm one of those guys, whenever my back is really against the wall and I have some control, I think it kind of, it kind of changes things. And yeah, I, I understand, you know, I've lost some fights, you know, back to back or whatever. There have been some controversy in there. Yes, I'm 42, but I believe that the route that I'm taking and the way I'm going about it, I think it's going to be quite interesting. Of course, I care about my safety. You know, that's my most important thing. And And if I couldn't do it, my family wouldn't, they wouldn't let me do it, you know, because I'm, I'm doing pretty good as a promoter here in my hometown. But I just, I have this itch to want to try to do it my way. I've always wanted to be my own promoter. And I never was able to be one because I was always tied in contracts. But, you know, this, I can now. And if I go about it the right way, see how I feel this first match, and, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, a lot of a lot of fighters are are can hang around a little bit later. You know, I've never really taken a lot of abuse. I've always been pretty pretty safe fighter, and you know, I've, I let my body rest. And so, yeah, I, it sounds crazy, but you know, the guys who who are successful are the guys that try something. You know, if if I was able to go out there and wasn't able to do the things that I believe I can, then I would just stick to promoting. You know, I would just, I love boxing very much. 
but I believe that I can I can still do this. And you know, from from the films of, of people watching me train and spar, a lot of them agree with me. They say, you know what, we didn't think you would look like that, but you do. So I'm curious. You know, I'm 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 excited and I'm a little curious also to see how I feel in there. I've been feeling great through camp. I've been training for about four months for this, so I feel really good. And I want to see if, if what I think will happen happens. No, I mean, no one can obviously tell you, you know, what to do, so to speak. I mean, you know your body and, and you know, your health better than anyone does, obviously. And you can quite clearly tell, even just by this interview, you're not you're not a silly guy. You understand the game. You've been around it for years yeah. and years. You're not a guy that's got a ton of stoppages on your record in terms of stoppage losses. Yeah. You know, so you're right when you yeah. say you haven't took loads of punishments. So, no, it's a brilliant thing. If you still do have something, then, you know, no one can tell you not to do it. Um, the opponent, Tavoris. Teague, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, is is, is that the guy you're getting in yeah. with? Do you know much about the guy? You know what? I, I've seen some video footage of him. You know, he, he doesn't have the best record, but he's a guy that's tough and durable. I've seen him. He had a draw with uh, uh, the undefeated guy uh, recently, and also he's he's you know been the distance with a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of up and coming guys, a lot of undefeated guys, and he's tall, so he's going to present some challenges. He has tall, long reach. He believe he switches from lefty to righty, from what I know, and uh, you know, it, which is I think it's it's a good opponent to kind of see where I'm at. You know, I haven't been in there in you know four and a half years, so it's a guy that'll give me a good gauge of of what I can do. You know, because it's one one thing you know as a fighter to have your great reflexes in the gym, but actually in a fight. You know, it's such a fast pace and everything. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see how I feel, you know, in there. And I think, you know, this will be a, a good test about where I'm at. Because throughout my career, I've I've fought just tough opposition after tough opposition. I, you know, I didn't take any breaks, you know, besides um, the Valenzuela guy, uh, what, 2010 or 2011, that guy, other than that, no, it was tough fighter after tough fighter after tough fighter. And, you know, I think this guy's going to be tough also. But, you know, it's it's something where I can see exactly where I'm at. And then we'll we'll start building after that. I mean, the plan is uh, to do this fight in April and then to come back again in August and then hopefully in October or November again. You know, so kind of, you know, do do a, you know, each step will we'll, we'll be a little bit better competition and then kind of see what, what happens, you know, next year. Okay, so so like a fight-by-fight fight kind of basis type thing. Um, yeah. Steve, this fight is at welterweight, right? Yeah, it was a slightly bit over welterweight. Man, I would say more more towards super welter than welter, okay. and that that's what I fought on the contender when I did that contender show. Okay, okay, and you you mentioned there obviously about your you know your your goal is to have this fight here, then another fight in August time, then another fight towards the end of the year. Um, are you looking past that and perhaps trying to envision something big coming off of this? I mean, what what are your ambitions at this stage in your career? Do you still feel like you've got something to prove? I do. I, I feel like, well, you know, I'm a guy that's I'm I'm I love history and I love 
you know, chasing after things and, and, you know, doing something that hasn't been done. And one of my goals is, you know, each fight, my weight is going to come down. That's the plan. And I would love to position myself to fight for a championship next year, maybe towards the end of, of 2020 to do something that no small guy has done. And that's to win, to win and fight for a championship 20 years after he won the first one. So I won the title in 2000, but to be able to be in a position to fight for a championship in 2020, I think is incredible. I mean, I've never seen it done. The only other person I've seen do something like that, that was George Foreman. I haven't seen a small guy or heard of a small fighter that's been a small, like a lightweight type fighter, do anything like that. You know, I've I've heard of guys 10 years later, but not 20 years after winning a championship to get in a position to to fight for one. And, you know, it, once that got in my head, I said, you know what, that's never been, I don't think that's been done. And I think it would be quite, quite unique to, to pull something off like that, you know, to get yourself in a position to, to not only have won a title 20 years later, but to be in a position to fight for one. You know, you got a lot of a lot of guys out there. A lot of this school of boxing is different. You know, a lot of a lot of the trainers now they watch a lot of videos. The boxing trainers are not the old school trainers that you know were years ago. And a lot of these guys lack a lot of knowledge about the sport. And so, I think if I can position myself right, I can I can find the right person and get an opportunity. So that that's the, that's the long time, long-term plan. You know, that's kind of why I staged this comeback. I said, you know what, what if I was able to do something that, you know, very few, if any have done to promote himself, to get in a position to challenge, you know, for a respected, respected championship. Yeah, that would be amazing. And coming down to the last couple of questions, Steve, um, I'm guessing you know you're talking about this this plan. I'm guessing you're you're aiming at one four seven. If that is right, what is your thoughts of the champions right now? The whole division actually uh, at one four seven. Some good good fighters. We even saw that it, on the weekend. I would I would be I would aim more at one forty. Okay. One four zero. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. One four zero would be would be better. All right. uh, a lot of the guys at 147 really big, but um, yeah, I would I've been aiming at 140. I've been talking. We're, we're going to look at a, a good nutritionist after this, you know, to, to 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 do it the right way. And and the good thing is that I can fight whenever I want because I we promote our own shows, so that'll be good. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a lot. It's it's I I believe the 140 pound division is pretty wide open. I mean, I like uh, uh, Regis Progre. Uh, he's getting a, he's he's fighting for the uh, championship coming up. But um, you know, aside from him, you know, it's I don't really see too many guys that would make me you know worry or or, or think too much. You know, I, I mean, it, it's a lot of good guys in in the weight, but. 147 is loaded by that, you know. I mean that 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 would be crazy, you know. Those guys, it's a loaded division. I mean, 
to you'd have to wait a long time just to get a crack at a title of, of any one of those guys. But you know how boxing works. You know, you start winning some fights, these guys will offer you, you know, against you know a bigger fighter. But my plan is to be you know one one hundred and forty pounds. That's that's what I would prefer. I, I think I would be stronger there. I'd still be smart and fast. That would be the the proper way, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're right in saying Regis Progre as one of the best in the division. The one other guy that I'd say is with Progre in terms of kind of being head and shoulders above the rest of the guys, a guy from Scotland, you may not have heard of him, his name's Josh Taylor. Very, very good fighter. Very good fighter. Very big for the weight. Southpaw, he also is about to fight for a world title. I believe it's in May. Um, And yeah, if he wins his fight and Regis wins his fight, then they'll go into the final of that World Boxing Super Series and fight each other. And that'll be incredible. But watch out for uh, for, for Josh Taylor. Very good fighter, Steve. Yeah, I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look at him, Josh Taylor. Yeah, I haven't heard of him, but I'm gonna I'm gonna check him out. Definitely, you you'll be impressed. He's a great fighter. But yeah, the final question for you, Steve. Um, I know you're a knowledgeable boxing guy. I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but I must ask this question. We like to ask it to all the all the boxers that we speak to from overseas. Who's your favorite UK fighter of any era? Oh, of any era. Any era. <laughs> oh. You know who I really like? I've always liked Nigel Benn. Yes. You're Nigel Benn, man. I mean, I've even saw I saw a video of Nigel Benn sparring Roberto Duran, and that what that was great. I mean, this is a few years ago, and those two, man, they wow. But I I really like Nigel Benn. I just you know he was he was a, a you know crafty. He came to fight. And I also like Chris Eubank too. But Nigel Benn, man, was, oh, you know, I, I just loved watching him fight, you know. I mean, I got I got a a, a, a few different uh, guys I liked. I, I always liked the uh, Naz, you know. Yeah, the, I used to love what he brought that excitement. Yeah. yeah, he brought the excitement. But, yeah, I would say probably my favorite is, is Nigel Benn. Yeah, he's a very, very popular answer. A lot of people say either Nigel Benn, Naz, sometimes we get Hatton, Lennox Lewis, another very popular one. But um, yeah, yeah, very, very good fighters, a lot of them. But listen, Steve, I really do appreciate your time this week, sir. Best of luck for April 6th. It's been a real pleasure you. interviewing you, and I hope that we speak again very soon. Yeah, and, and I want to say, too, I, I love, you know, I love you guys over there for your boxing knowledge. Uh being in the UK, I, I, I'm going to plan on taking a trip and maybe coming to some fights over there because, you know, I, I had a great time when I went over there and uh, I went there in 2007, actually, and I've always wanted to go back. So, yeah. Yeah, we'd welcome you over here. I mean, the, the UK boxing fans certainly know who you are and they'd love to have you over here. So if that does happen, uh, it'd be oh. exciting times for the boxing fans. But like I say, Steve, thanks so much for giving us a piece of your time and we'll speak again soon. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 179 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the former IBF Super Featherweight World Champion Steve Forbes and the reigning WBC Super Middleweight World Champion Anthony Durrell. The prediction league currently stands at myself in the lead on 93 points. I as is in second place on 87, and you, the listeners, are third with 86 points. 
Of course, best of luck this weekend with the predictions. I accidentally missed out a couple of fights on the preview segment. Also on that Leicester show that Frank Warren is putting on, Nathan Gorman, 15-0, and 0, will be taking on Kevin the Kingpin Johnson, 34-12 and 12 with one draw. It's a good fight because, obviously, in Gorman's last fight, he went the distance with Kajanu, and then Dubois went on to knock Kajanu out. The pair are obviously supposed to be meeting at some point in the near future, and Kevin Kingpin Johnson went the distance with Dubois, so this is Gorman's chance to knock him out, and that would be a real statement. Also, I forgot to mention that on Saturday night in Mexico, Andrew Selby's flown out there to take on Julio Cesar Martinez Aguilar. Uh, his record is 13-1. and one. The one loss was a split decision over four rounds on his debut. You can't really read into that too much. Um, he's won every single fight since then, including avenging the defeat. Uh, he's also coming off seven straight knockouts in a row, so Andrew's record, of course, 11-0 and 0 going in. Come on, Andrew, but it's going to be very tough to get a decision out there in Mexico. In other news, Josh Warrington versus Kid Galahad, it's finally been announced. The date will be uh, June the 15th at the first direct arena in Leeds, and also Artur Baturbiev's next fight has been announced. He'll take on Radivoj um, Kaladzic, I think that's how it's said. Kaladzic's record is 24-1. and His one loss came to Marcus Brown by a split decision in an eight-rounder, a fight where both himself and Brown were down on the canvas. Uh, of course, if Baturbiev can stop this guy, then it's obviously a statement, but that is about everything, my friends. Thank you all for listening. If you have listened this far, then your ears are truly appreciated by myself and I as the Trevor McDonald of Boxing News. God bless you all, and we shall see you all again next week. Thank you.